Heavenly Father, that our hearts would know and believe what you have done for us upon the cross through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. A recent headline in the Business Insider in Great Britain read, The death of Queen Elizabeth will be the most disruptive event in Britain in the last 70 years. In the article, it talks about some economists stating that the royal wedding of William and Kate Middleton cost the British economy $6 billion. And that was just one day off. I think it remarkable to run a headline like that while Queen Elizabeth is still alive, uh, informing her of the fact that were she to die, it would cause a significant disruption uh, to the daily life of Great Britain. As inappropriate as that article seemed, we can relate. We hate disruptions, even valid, understandable disruptions. We hate them because they interfere with our normal course of life and business. The direction that we have decided to go in is thwarted. We have to stop what we're doing, or worse yet, change course to a direction that we do not want to go in. Well, there was an even greater disruption in the history of the world involving not the death of a Queen of England, but the death of another monarch, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ. The timing of it was not convenient for us, and yet God chose a particular time to enter the world for a particular reason. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly, for sinners, for you, for me. He came into the world with a purpose, a purpose to rescue us. And even in the Garden of Eden, this story of God's redemptive power and intervening in our lives was even heard in the midst of the fall from the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve had fallen and were being cast out beyond the gates of the garden. But God, speaking to the serpent who tempted Eve, said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Even as sin sprang to life in our DNA at the fall, God had a plan of redemption for his people. He looked forward to a time when the issue of sin and death would finally be dealt with once and for all. This problem of sin and death is no easy obstacle to overcome even as much as we may downplay it in our lives. We have times in our lives where we see sin rear its ugly head. We make bad choices. We say things that we wish that we could take back. We do things that we regret. 
But more than sin simply being the sum of our choices in life, upon self-examination we find that sin is deeply rooted in us. It's not just choices, but a condition that we suffer. Now some may look around us and say, well, I'm sinful, but not as sinful as my neighbor. Or I read People magazine, there's Kim Kardashian. Thank God for Kim Kardashian, who makes me look good. In November of 2003, the largest hepatitis A outbreak took place in the United States, and it was centered around a Chi-Chi's Mexican restaurant outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. 660 people were infected by the food or from being in contact with the diners at that Chi-Chi's, and four died. Now I ask you, well, Chi-Chi's didn't last long after that. In fact, there are no more left in the United States. But let's say they got back up on their feet and you went to dine at Chi-Chi's and the waitress brought to your table this taco and, said, and you said, well, we're so glad that you finally have gotten back on your feet and things are all right. And the waitress says, well, things are better than they were, but there's still just a little bit of hepatitis A in the taco. Not as much as there was before, but just a little bit. Would you eat it? No. How much hepatitis A is too much? Any. And so even for those of us who think, well, I just have a little bit of sin, it's still enough to infect and taint all of us. And we feel it in our own lives. The Bible tells us that when all of the sin of the world, past, present, and future, when all of that was laid upon Jesus, it is no wonder that he cries out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Don't we cry out when we feel the weight and burden of our sin? It may be that you cry out when you feel the burden of your own sin. But it may be that you cry out when you feel the effects of sin in the world around you. You sit helpless as you watch a loved one die. Your child's life has gotten way off track and you don't know what to do or to say to them. And no matter what you do, nothing helps. You are in way over your head in your job. And you may not even call it sin, but you know what it feels like when the world starts crashing in upon you. The burden of it all is intolerable. You begin to panic and hyperventilate. You begin to feel pent up and closed in. The burden of it all is intolerable. And you're not only being crushed, you are alone. You are forsaken. And in that moment, if you've ever felt that way in your life, that moment of panic, that moment of it all closing in on you, that is just the tiniest sliver 
of what Jesus Christ experienced on the cross when all the sin of the world upon him was laid. And we behold the man. He gives up his rights for our sin. He lays aside his crown to take up our burden. He dies so that we might live. More than nails that held him to the cross, it was his great love for us. But it was not just his love for us alone that motivated him, but necessity. The wrong must be righted. Even those of us who are very uncomfortable with the concept of judgment still look forward to a day where all of the injustice in the world is made right. Where the things in our world which are broken down and wrong, that they would be built up, made new, and righted. And so, on the cross, Jesus offers us not just the forgiveness of our sins, of of who we are and what we struggle to be, but even the remission of sins. That God has taken our sins and separated them from us as far as the east is from the west so that because of what Jesus has done for us, when he looks at us, he looks at us through the lens of unconditional love. He looks at us in the way that he looks at his son, Jesus. Guilty. Smitten. Yet at the same time, without sin, forgiven, and free. There is a price to be paid for sin. The injustice must be righted. And in Jesus, he goes in our stead where we deserve condemnation and punishment. Jesus takes our place. And because of that, There's no more penance, no more thinking that God loves me when I'm good and doesn't love me when I am bad. The language of redemption in the Bible, especially in the New Testament, is very curious. When I say words like redemption or redeemer, our 21st century ears hear religious terms. That's what we think of. And yet, in the first century... The Greek word that the Bible uses to talk about redemption actually has nothing to do with religion. It's not a religious term, but an economic term, a financial one. And so the word that the Bible often uses is the word that can easily be translated as redeem or ransom. That is, that what Jesus has done for us is he's redeemed us, but he's done more than that. We have been taken hostage by someone who is not of us, someone who is not of our Father. And we are held captive, and a ransom note has been sent out, and this is the price that must be paid in order to save your child. And God's response is not one of negotiation. But he responds with death. 
a full and complete capitulation to the terms of the ransom. No price is too great. Indeed, he would pay the ultimate price. It would cost Jesus everything, his life. And so it all comes to this. On a hill outside of Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, where a man who had brought joy and comfort to the world was betrayed and handed over to suffering and death, who was scourged and mocked, and even while he was dying, could not carry his own cross, and so a man from the crowd had to help him. And he hung upon the cross, abandoned, forsaken, burdened so much that the world crashed in on him. And he dies because he loves us and because it was necessary. Yet it was the will of the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief when he makes himself an offering for sin. This day is a great disruption in our lives. We don't like disruptions. We have developed Stockholm Syndrome. We have become enamored with our captor, sin. We need someone to come in and save us from the effects of sin on ourselves, our lives, our loved ones, and even the effect on God himself. He has given up everything in order to ransom you, to buy you back. As his body is taken to the tomb, you walk free from the prison cell that once held you. I thought it was a wonderful providential intervention that today, of all days, the Birmingham News headline read, Death Row Inmate Walks Free. Death Row Inmate Walks Free. Could there be any more perfect headline on the day that we remember the one who came and died in our stead? The day of your redemption draws nigh. Look to the cross, for it is finished.